that's where it helps to have a wife like yes. I have. Well, I don't have a wife. Yeah. See, this when you have a wife, we could fill in those spaces for each other really well. Maybe I should get a wife. Yeah, you need a wife. We'll get you a wife. I've been screwing around we'll with a husband for too notice. long. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like baggage. It's good to know your strengths and weaknesses. It's so true. Because then you can find people to fill in those spaces. Exactly. Like, oh, you're good at that. That'd be good. Yes. Because yeah. I look at this room and I go, I never would have hung pictures on the bathroom door. Right. But she did. <laughs> I never would have done that. Right. You know? Right. So cool to see someone else's brain like on its feet. Yes. Too, right? It's so true. Well, that, that's, why, that's where it helps to have a wife. Like yes. I have. Well, I don't have a wife. Yeah. See this, when you have a wife, we could fill in those spaces for each other really well. That's nice. Yeah, it is. It's really good. Maybe I should get a wife. Yeah, you need a wife. We'll get you a wife. I've been screwing around with a husband for too long. Yeah, (laughs) He's just like baggage. But we actually have a handyman called Robert who we have in our um, phones as husband for hire. (laughs) And so he he knows that. And he comes up on all our things is that. And he comes over whenever we need like real stuff done. We're like, can you you go up in that attic? We've never been up there. Can you see what's in there? Well, uh, Bert doesn't do that. So I may need your husband for hire. Oh yeah, I'll totally get... He, yes, you would love him. Okay. He's amazing. We've had him for many, many years. Oh, well, if you're willing to share your husband. I'll share my if husband. If we can be polygamous yes. together, that'd yes. be amazing. <laughs> I'll find you a wife too. If you want that, we'll get that. My husband's kind of tits husband. on a bull. <laughs> you know, a little bit. He's he's literally like tits on a bull. He's the woman. In so, the really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really? He's the emotional person. Reactive, oh. emotional Um Yes, and I'm much more matter of fact and linear and right. like, well, well, he's creative. He's very creative. But you're obviously very creative too. I am. I'm just creative and I think uh, I, uh, my creativity looks a lot like problem solving, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And puzzle putting together mm-hmm. and piecework. You know, even when I was a writer, my favorite part of writing was editing. Mm-hmm. Like I loved the second, third, fourth draft. The first draft is what gave, made me nervous. Right. You know, the vomit out of the mm-hmm. first draft. I was like, ooh, right. not, this is not a good idea even. Mm-hmm. But my creativity would show up when the first draft was out. And then I'd go, oh, here's what's wrong. Right. And do this and this guy should say this. And this person is in love with the wrong person. Uh-huh. And now we got to shift this whole character around and the structure of this character is too similar to that one. Right. Now let's fix all that. So I feel like that's what I do in life in general is creatively possible. I think a lot of women do. You know, I think that's where a lot of women get, have, but I think in almost a forced way, Mm -hmm. have to be create. That's where a lot of creativity gets sort of pronounced Mm -hmm. is in that way because that's just what a lot of the roles are, right? Yeah. So. Do you have one kid? I have one kid. Daughter? Daughter, yes. She's 12. Aw. You have two daughters, right? Two daughters, yes. And how old are they? They are 17 and 19. Oh, really? Yeah. So How did that all go? Tell me about 12 to 17. <laughs> what, I wrote, what happens? I, I read a really good book called Untangled. Oh, that's what I'm, I'm listening to it right now. It's really good, right? Yes. Yes. It helped me a lot. It helped me a lot in a couple of key areas. One was it helped me understand the tug of war between I need you, I want autonomy. Right. I, I can't have autonomy but I want autonomy. Like that push and pull is still happening today because they're still teenagers. Mm -hmm. It's gotten less with Georgia a little bit, Mm -hmm. but definitely her freshman year of college was all about back off. 
Mm-hmm. I know you got to help me, but back off. Right. And it was that way in high school too. And just understanding that that is what was going on, that mm-hmm. in developmentally, this was um, good. Right. This is good news. Right. That they're lying <laughs> yeah. and they're sneaking <laughs> and they're pushing boundaries. This is good news. That right. means they're actually getting ready to fly the coop. Right. Right. That was really helpful because I think if I, I'm such a linear person Mm -hmm. that if I had not had that kind of back of the house information, Mm -hmm. I would have micromanaged and parented in a very kind of like honed in precise way that would have been very counterproductive. I think that book has changed so many people's lives. And there's, I think there's an analogy in that book about the, you're the, you're the side of the swimming pool as a parent. And you're, you're meant to be there for them to come have a rest mm-hmm. and then swim back out in it again. Mm-hmm. My daughter just started middle school and I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what it is. Like I'll drop her off and be like, oh my God, I, where did she go? I don't know who, what, what happened. And then by that night, she's spilling her guts about everything. Yeah. And then the next day it all starts up again. So it's, it's such an adjustment. I feel like 11 to 12 was such an adjustment to not get your feelings hurt mm-hmm. and to not make it personal. Mm-hmm. That's something we always are talking about between my wife and I. We're like, well, how do we, we this isn't about us. This right. is just, we cannot take it personally, you know? I think the good and the bad about our generation of parents mm-hmm. is that we come, I don't, I can't speak to your parents, but uh, generationally we're latchkey kids. We're the first yeah. generation of divorce. We're the first of, of mass divorce. Mm-hmm. Obviously people divorce before us, but Really, our generation with the women's lib and the sexual revolution, yes. it changed the family dynamic so completely for most people that grew up, and I'm assuming we're a similar mm-hmm. age, that I think a lot of parents our age course corrected maybe too much right. into making the, the, the kids their entire life. Yes. And that's not healthy for the kids. And it's not healthy for the parents. Right. You have to have, of course, they're important. Of course, Raising these little souls is paramount and amazing and most important, but they don't need to think they're the only thing in your life. I don't think that's healthy. I think it sets them up to fail, right? Well, I also think that's interesting because I think that when they get to 12, they kind of want to know what you're doing. You know, the, it's. I find that's a little bit of a shift too. They're like, well, what do you do? Like, where do you go? What are you doing every day? And are you working out? Like, I have soccer. What do you do? Like, it's a little bit more of a, you have to come back to yourself again yeah. and say, okay, this is, this is, it's important that I'm, you have more time to become more, to, to focus on more things in your own life. But I do think you have to, you get, you get the course adjustment mm-hmm. at a certain age because you're right. The over parenting at that point is not going to serve you well. And they need to see sort of a role model in whatever it is you're doing. You want to start, you start realizing like, oh, I need to shift roles here and really show you how things should be working in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you go to this private school and you're seeing kids drive out in, you know, Mercedes, it's not going to happen. Like mm-hmm. that's not our family. You know, we're not going to do that. Right. So <laughs> you kind of like, cause you have to work and this is what it looks like. And yeah. so it's really, um, it is, it comes back to, I think you have, you have to keep yourself intact. And I think our, our parents' generation was great at that. <laughs> oh yeah, almost too great. <laughs> they were so good at it. They were really good at it. And that part of it can be a great example for, for you as a parent now in this world where, at least for me, you know, all through elementary school, it really was all about my kids. 
yeah, especially the school we went to, was so community-based and so fun mm-hmm. and so, um, yeah, community-based. I mean, I think either of my kids could show up to Parisa and Brian's house mm-hmm. without announcing themselves or without notice, and the door would be open, and they could walk right in, and Georgia and Jack weren't that close. Right. But it, they're just such a network of safe parents and families that that's what the focus was for that moment of their life, mm-hmm. which I think is a great base to build on for what the real world looks like. You you have and you develop this community of people that you always come back to and people come and go from that community, but that base of value systems should always be there no matter what you're doing in the world. I agree with you that at, once you get to middle school, they start, you're teaching them how to adult. Mm-hmm. That's where it really starts. Right. Because that's when the interpersonal dynamics start happening that are complicated. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when some of the educational pieces become complicated. That's when your extracurricular gets complicated or use highly competitive sports or choir or fill in the blank. Um, it's such an interesting journey. And I, I think my parents at least were so not aware in that way. They were so self-involved because of what that generation dictated mm-hmm. that they weren't looking at parenting in the same way we look at it. So those of us, I think they're lucky enough to have found a book like Untangled that talk to other parents that are ahead of you and go, what's happening here? One of the best pieces of advice I got for me with someone who has daughters a few years older than mine was um, with daughters, they leave and they leave, they go farther away than sons when they're leaving but they come back and they stay. Oh, interesting. So sons will leave and they go to wherever their partner is, but daughters come back and they stay. And that gave me a lot of comfort because Georgia was going away. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine that she's, we are the coolest parents ever. (laughs) We are so fun. (laughs) We have accepted every flaw, wart, positive, negative, where is she going? Right. You know, but just to have a mom say, oh, no, no, this is what this is what daughters do. Right. I mean, obviously, that's a generality. But right. But it's true. I Listen, I'm I'm from Ohio originally. You're from Alabama, Georgia. Al- Georgia originally. And so, and I love LA. Like, I, 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 just what you just said about community, I feel like that's so important here is when you find your community of families and people that you really... Um, connect to because you find your own little world here of people that are really like-minded. Um, and you, I like when I think when I, even now as a grown adult, I will, I still feel so connected to Ohio, mm-hmm. you know, and my, my mom still lives there. I have brothers that live there and I, I, there's, it's still so strong, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's so, it's weird. Like you do as a, I think as a, as a daughter, perspective looking at that it's like yeah I always even though I lived away I still felt like that's I have this very strong connection there mm-hmm. that 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 I want to go back to that's interesting yeah I've talked to Brian a great deal about uh back in Ohio mm-hmm. there's a house there he bought the house he did yes yes he's talked to me about that house quite a lot it means yeah a lot to him it house. is it's a we all grew up in this house I have five brothers and you have five brothers. I have five brothers. Any sisters? Nope. Holy wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> Was that a rowdy house? Because I have to tell you, I've known Brian a long time. You are not like him. 
Oh, really? You don't think so? I do not. How? What did I? Well, I have more hair. Yes. Right? I mean, I see the similarities in your looks, but I wouldn't like right. run into you on the street and go, "That's definitely Brian Stepanek's sister." That's hilarious. Um, he has so much energy. Yeah, and yeah. you're so calm. Yeah, I'm, I'm much calmer than Brian. You yes. are. Yeah. I love Brian. Yeah, I do too. I adore him. And, and Parisa, obviously. Uh, how do you not love either one of them? Yeah. But he's one of the loveliest people on the planet. He is. They live five minutes, oh, a five-minute walk from us. And so we've lived around the corner from each other for about 10 years. And it's been so great because we'll text each other in the morning and be like, I'm walking the dogs. You want to have coffee? And we'll go sit on each other's porch and have coffee and hang out. And that's so cool. It's so great to have that here. It's really yeah. great. But he is, he's so funny and thoughtful and, uh, you know, really he's just fun to be around. He really, it's their whole family is a really special family. So they are, yeah. you know, Maggie's in my Girl Scout troop. Oh, oh, right. Because Maggie was in your troop, right? Yeah, she's still in my yeah. troop. I love that kid. Yeah. She's amazing. She is. Being. She, she I don't is. know Kira as well. Yeah. I know Jack from, because Jack and Georgia were in school together. So I know Jack a little better than Kira. Right. But Maggie is just, uh, I just love her to pieces. Yeah. She's very special. She's a lot of, I feel like Maggie could be good at anything uh, at yeah. any time. Yeah. So and so nice and gracious and considerate and caring and thoughtful, and just an act a, a, a beautiful representation of her parents and her family and herself yes. as a human being. Well, and didn't you take them down to, to my dad's? To your dad's, right? Yes. So is that a house that you grew up in there too, or what sort was of? That when? Um, my dad's family is very close. He is one of four. He's got a brother and two sisters, and when we were young. <clears throat> My parents divorced when I was seven. So when my dad got me, he didn't know really what to do with a girl. Mm -hmm. So we he kind of created a world where we would both be happy. So he loved to fish and he loved to water ski. So we were just on a lake all the time. So by the time I was, this started when I was about seven, actually started before that. But after my parents divorced, that became a focus. You know, right. every summer we just stayed in a boat. So at a certain point, he decided to buy a piece of property but couldn't afford to do that by himself. So he did it with his three siblings. And this piece of property on this lake has been in our family since I was 12. I'm 53, so 41 years. But it was kind of like a camp spot. It No bathroom. It was just a piece of land that we owned, and it had a dock on it. Right. About 20, well, Bert and I have been married 20 years. So about 23 years ago, they decided to build a house. So there's a house there, but it's only been there for 23 years. But the property's been in my life since I was about 12. So, and my uh, dad and all three siblings all have their eight cousins all around the same age. There's like a 10-year span of cousins. And so we spent every weekend and lots of time other than the weekends from Memorial Day to Labor Day every single summer together. That's incredible. It was incredible. It was a gift. It was amazing. It was something that I was determined that my kids would experience. So we go for two weeks every summer. We have since Georgia was born, gone for two weeks every summer to that same lake house. And the cousins come and I kind of tried to recreate as much as I could from LA, mm -hmm. that moment in time for them so they could know their family, know their roots, 
you know, rural Georgia, uh, the lake house is in Alabama, rural Alabama is a very different beast than LA. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of beautiful things about that part of the country. And there's a lot of things that don't line up for me. Right. And I, learning tolerance and acceptance is something that is easier to do when you are in an environment that is different than your own. Right. So oh, yeah. Going into a convenience store that's completely filled with taxidermy <laughs> is not happening in LA. <laughs> yeah. But in rural Alabama, yep. that's kind of the huge. Right. So my kids walk in and are like horrified and it gives me the opportunity to say, this is a different culture. People here hunt for sport. Right. Most of what you see here has been eaten. It hasn't been just like thrown in the garbage. Mm -hmm. This is part of the cycle of life. This is this is a sport that is meaningful here and is respected and is regulated and has permits. And this is what life is like. And these are your relatives. These, yes. These are your blood. Yes. So when you sit with your cousin, Chris, who has a pistol on his hip and no shirt on, <laughs> I don't want any judgment here. It's so good for them though. That's, yes. Listen, I same with our family in Ohio. We have uh, I think it's 24 grandchildren and great-grandchildren collectively. Wow. And we all come together twice a year and we're all in it. And they're all, you know, it's all political, different political spectrums. Totally. And, and my daughter just this year started to realize like, oh, they they kind of all have different political points of view than our family. And and she's learning the same thing. You know, she's, she's understanding that it, there's a life outside the world of just you know, my parents' house where she goes twice a year, that this is now like, oh, this is a whole other culture here and it's completely different than what I grew up in. Yeah. So. And it's beautiful. It is. Even in the things I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. What I like about that is the conviction of belief they bring to their beliefs, yes. right? Yeah. That's something to be respected mm -hmm. and and not discounted. It may, I may not agree with them, but that conviction of belief is a wonderful thing to possess. Well, and when it's and when it's relatives, you really want to know why. Mm -hmm. Like I can I can really talk with my brothers politically, and um, Suzanne, my wife, always says to me like, "What? Like I can't. Like I I'm so I'm bad at that. I can't." Mm -hmm. But I'm like, no, because I've they're smart. Mm -hmm. I've no, they're my brothers. I've known them since you know Your I was life. born. My whole life. I was yeah. like, these are. I'm very curious mm -hmm. and they actually are well-read. Mm -hmm. They they may be getting different news than I'm getting, but I'm open to looking at both things. And to be honest, they've been open to looking at both things too. So it's it's actually, I find it similar to you. I find it helpful because you do need to step out of your own zone. And when you then when things come up, you go, well, of course, of course, this is why people believe this or they believe mm -hmm. that. So this is where they're coming from. I totally agree. Yeah. It, 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 what it does for me also is it it gives me the opportunity to question my own beliefs, mm -hmm. to really put to task what I believe. So if you're having a conversation with someone who yes. exactly what you're talking about is is well read, mm -hmm. is well conversed in what their belief system is, maybe comes from a different religious belief system than I have that I completely respect, but right. it's not for me. Right. I, I, it then makes me self-reflect. It go, does. It makes me check myself. Exactly. It makes me rethink things now when I read it. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Yes. I'm starting to notice now, like even just things you flip through in the news and it's the, the title is something to entice you, even in the best publications. And you're like, I don't really need to see this person's opinion on this thing. You realize that's mostly what's out there. Mm -hmm. So 
uh, it's good. I do think, I do think people need to, it's good for people to be exposed to that. And I want my daughter to be exposed to that. Totally. And be tolerant and understand that this is just what it is. Well, what is good about that is I have a sophomore in college Mm -hmm. who's uh, in a different state Mm -hmm. with a very, in a pretty big school. Mm -hmm. So backgrounds are so diverse. Oh, yeah. And it's not foreign to her. Right. You know, it's not foreign to go and go, this entire fraternity has a mullet. Right. Everyone here has a mullet. (laughs) What is that? Well, she knows what that is because she's been around a mullet or two in her life. And for her, she can now go have a conversation with a, a fraternity full of mullets and know that they're exactly the same as the guys who are wearing the polo shirts and playing golf. Right. You know, because they're all on the same campus together. Mm-hmm. It's like going to the DMV. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go to back home mm-hmm. and you get this exposure to life other than your own, that really is what real life is. Mm-hmm. It's not the bubble that's your private school or our sweet, amazing public school that our kids went yes. to. That was <coughs> just cookie cutter and, yeah, you know, out of a storybook. That's not real life. Right. Um, Right. And we're so lucky that we had the opportunity to expose our kids to two different perspectives on life because mm-hmm. not everybody has that opportunity. Well, and I also think here in LA, <laughs> just the the opportunity for also meeting people from just other countries who are here. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important too, mm-hmm. because they have such a different perspective and it's surprising. You know, you think that it's going to be one way and they, they're like, you guys have no idea what you have here. Yeah. Like you just have no idea I was in a, a Uber the other day and this this driver was explaining that his brother had come over from another country to visit. And he said, the cars in LA that are just normal cars that people are driving, regular cars are like the elite in their country. Mm-hmm. Like how much you have here, you mm-hmm. have no idea. Right. And I think that's, I love that about LA, I that we too. have that kind of perspective. I so. do too. I think LA is the best blend of everything. I just love yeah. it here. I lived in Atlanta, I lived in New York. And I lived here. Mm-hmm. And this is my favorite. Yeah. I think it gets a real bad reputation. Mm-hmm. I think people who haven't really lived here and judge from showing up and mm-hmm. hanging out for 10 days. Right. It's not the same. It's not a good representation. There's so many kind, giving, compassionate, lovely people in the city. I think so too. Yeah. It is very Americana hometown in its own sophisticated you know, kind of slick way. Right. I, I really think it is. it is that. Well, especially this area. Especially. I mean, you're down this, you're literally five minutes from me down yeah. the street. And my, uh, I have a podcast company with Adam Epstein. I know, I can't wait to talk about it. So he's, he lives five minutes from me. And it seems like everyone that we go out to get for it, like for actors or even our publicist, everything ends up being five minutes from us. I know, right? It's the weirdest thing. Like we have actors showing up in like on a Vespa or on their bike. Like everyone's in this area. It's such a great community. It is. Because I think a lot of the working talent of entertainment that you may know or not know live in this this area. I and think it's so. really creative and really fun. And It is highly creative, this little pocket of LA. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's kind of, it's not secret, but it's kind of secret. It's a secret. We should maybe keep it that way. Yeah, let's keep it. Let's keep it secret. Else. But <clears throat> I am so excited about what I read about your podcast network. So when did you start your podcast? Uh, January will be six years. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. What, I made, did, what did, made you want to do that? 
Uh, midlife crisis. Okay. Um, <laughs> sort of. Uh, Bert, Bert had already had his podcast, had had it for a while. Like I said before, I don't know how much you know about me, but I was a writer before I met Bert, mm-hmm. wrote screenplays. I was, I was doing really well. And then um, we got pregnant and I pivoted because right. I was like, I'm, right. I can't write and be mom. Yeah. My brain doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. But we, about six years ago, I had started, my kids were in middle school. Oh, Started right. going, what is my purpose? Like, what is my future purpose? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm seeing that this is coming to not an end, but a transition as a parent. I'm transitioning out of this being my full purpose, like we were saying mm-hmm. earlier. And uh, coincidentally, this guy had reached out and asked to come and give Bert and I personality test and value system tests just for a podcast episode. And we're like, yeah, that sounds interesting. We did that. Mm-hmm. And in the course of that, it just, I, I had a little bit of a breakdown because in that um, personality test, I tested 90% other focused, which means wow. I don't do anything for myself. And he said in our consultation, this is problematic. This is a response to childhood trauma. That's what trauma makes you. That's your survival mechanism is to focus on it. If everybody else is okay, then I'm okay, which lined up completely with my childhood experiences. And he said, the problem with that is it's really good for Bert because he gets the benefit of you being focused on him all the time. But at some point, it's going to fall apart for you. It's going to become resentful for you. And you're going to become lost because you'll you'll just get resentful of always being other focused. So it might be good for you to consider that and kind of like become a little more self-focused. You're not ever going to need to worry about being self-involved or self-possessed or like I'm the best thing ever. That's just so, you're so in the 90% of not that, that you would have to completely change your core entirely for you to be this like narcissistic, self-involved person. (laughs) Right. So, but you do need to kind of course correct that a little bit because in the long run, it's going to be problematic for you. Um, And that hit me pretty hard where I went, how can he see my trauma from this personality test? It must be really true that this is how I'm protecting myself or uh, securing myself or fill in the blank. So I was talking to Bert and he said, I think you need to start a podcast. And first thing I said was, who wants to hear me talk about anything? I don't have anything to say. Wow. And he went, yes, you do. You are the reason we have this life because I lean on you. You help me creatively. You are as much as part of my career as I am in a certain way. And you have a lot to say. You've raised two great kids. You Girl Scout troop leader. You got all this shit going on. Of course you have something to say. So (laughs) I went for a walk one day and I was like, that's an easy lift for me to be self-focused. We already have the studio. We already have the employees. We already have the technology. I just have to show up and talk. Mm -hmm. So what do I want that to be about? You know what? In the beginning, I thought to myself, what I would like as a listener would be to, if staying home by myself, raising kids, doing laundry, cooking dinner, shopping for groceries, I would like to listen to a bunch of friends talk Mm -hmm. because then I would feel like I'm one of their friends. So I'm going to start there. I have so many friends in our neighborhood that are amazing human beings that have something to say that are in my same age group doing the same things I'm doing. And we don't just talk about parenting. We talk about 
everything. We talk about sex. We talk about money. We talk about decorating this room. We mm-hmm. talk about, you know, having some, some of my friends have their parents living with them. And I'm so curious that I want to learn with my friends publicly about all kinds of stuff. And I bet you other people would like what I would like, which would be like, sort of like The View. Right. But not The View, but not produced. Mm -hmm. Just a free-flowing conversation with whoever is available that week to sit down and have a free-flowing conversation about whatever the topic of the moment is. Mm -hmm. And then some of it I wanted to be topic-driven, you know? Well, I think so many people I know, once they hit like late 40s, early 50s have transitioned, have ha- are forced to transition. Yeah. And it's whether it's their kids growing up or their, and, and people who had careers, solid, running something, you know, a successful director or writer, all of them have had to have a major transition, I think, around that age. And I think one is it's just a natural evolution, but I think the other is the world's changed so much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, you know, my parents' generation, you work, you work in the same company for years. You know, you start a company, you run that company and that's what you do. And I think with so much change in technology and so much change in the way the world works, like every six months, there's something new. So true. Um, and people are forced to shift and change right now and pivot and figure out their new their new thing. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what happened with me with the podcast company. It was like beginning of COVID. I was, I was transitioning out of a company, a TV and film company. I had a lot of production experiences trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, Adam Epstein, who I had been working with, um, I had met him through a book series he had called The Familiars Mm -hmm. that uh, Michael- I know Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know Adam. So he, he, uh, he and I, had, we're working on adapting his next series. And he called me and said, you know, I have this, this scripted podcast I wrote and I would love to, to have you read it and just tell me what you think. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, what is a scripted podcast? Like I had no idea about anything about it. And we started calling a couple different companies that did this. And we hung up one day and we were like, we can do this. And it was COVID. I was in transition we were, but it was one of those things where we both knew we both had the skill sets. Mm-hmm. He's a writer. And the thing about Adam that's amazing is not only is he a really talented writer for because it's YA and mm-hmm. kids and family that we write for, um, he's a great executor. Like mm-hmm. he actually does what he's going, like he's, he's, like he's always ahead of me, you know, he's, mm-hmm. and that's so rare to have, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody that you're working with that way. Um, and he's, he's, he just kind of kept pushing me along into this idea. And finally, I we were like, okay. And we've sort of been applying our skill sets now into this new world and just learning it as we go. That's amazing. Yeah. So we we literally, we, we I bought, we bought the pot. We were recording in our, I searched for an audio engineer. It turned out, it was like a worldwide search of like, who could we get that's a great audio engineer? We were talking to this wonderful engineer and it turns out he lives five minutes from Adam. So <laughs> we were like, you know, who's, who can we get for publicist? And it's like, Leslie lives two minutes from me. And is amazing. It, it really is. So we ended up um, just working. He got a team of writers and and uh, I figured out how we could produce it. We we literally, I set up my home office as a podcast studio. Uh, my wife is a therapist. She's in her studio, her in her room on the other side of the house doing that. <laughs> and so- That's crazy. And sometimes with our YA thrillers, we'll have like, 
somebody screaming, falling from a building. And I'm like, my God, hope we're not triggering anybody. But there's like a, there's like this just fun atmosphere of people in that are so interested in doing this. Like our actors are amazing. They, no one has said no to it. You know, they all jumped in and everybody's been really, really great. So we went out and we produced several YA uh, thriller horror series. Mm. And then we have several kids and family and toddler series. And so we just launched it last week. Amazing. And now we're working with uh, brands. So we went to a board game and we're adapting their characters into a scripted podcast series. Amazing. So all these brands now can have a place to develop their characters or their uh, ideas into something that then could be developed and then go on to TV and film from the podcast world. That's brilliant. Yeah, that part I really love. So we've been, we're actually going to possibly license some characters now and develop material around it um, because there's so many great brands that have these wonderful characters that want to do that, Mm -hmm. but just haven't found the right connection into it that when you come to them with something like this, they're, it's perfect. So we're working on that as well. So brilliant. Yeah. Let me tell you from my perspective, what's brilliant about it. Do you know how many road trips we've been on and haven't been able to find a podcast that we as a family could listen to when the kids were younger? That's sort of what what pushed me over is my, my daughter plays soccer. We, we travel a lot to tournaments. She's a, more of an audible uh, listener. She loves to listen to things. And we, you know, there's books, which we would do, but we'd read a lot, you know, we'd already gone through all those. And when I discovered this whole subsection of podcasts, part of it too, was that some of the voices were so like kind of screechy or, you know, for kids, little kids, but not for parents too. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of did a book uh, performance hybrid. So Mm -hmm. each one has a narrator sort of leading you along into the story, but then there's tons of characters and a lot of great actors in it. So it's, it is, that's the heart of what sort of pushed me over the edge was realizing that there's just not a lot in this space out there. There's not. It's a really brilliant move. Thanks. Uh, When I read, um, Christine made a a one sheet for what Mm. you had going on. I read it literally and, and my mouth dropped. I was like, (laughs) this is amazing. This is what we were looking for when our kids were younger. We were looking everywhere and couldn't find it. And obviously we don't have the wheelhouse expertise, know-how, knowledge to do any of that, but, or interest in doing any of that. But I was like, somebody needs to just, it's just so brilliant. Thanks. It's fun. It's brilliant. I can't wait. What is the network called? How do people find it? It's Glisten Plus. And uh, it's uh, on all your major podcast uh, platforms. And and is it audio only? It's audio only right now, yes. That's so great. We're working on some animation for some of it. Are you? Yeah, yeah, we are. That's exciting also. Yeah, it's really great. So so it's a fun thing. It's a great great way to, um, you know, I think having your own business was something, as you know, where you can be creative and sort of take your skill sets that you're like, okay, I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. It's it's so fun. You know, it really, I mean, it's been, we've enjoyed every minute of it. It's been really great. That's great. Yeah. And I bet Adam is just brilliant. He is. And he's been directing them and he's so good at it. Is he? Yes. Because I don't have the patient, like the meticulousness of the you know, the line and he'll see something. I'm like, wow, he's really, really good at this. That's great. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of your friends have been on it. 
Paula's been on it. Has she really? Yeah, there's been a lot of different people that have come in. Brian's done some stuff. I was going to say, obviously, Brian, I'm sure, has done some stuff. Yeah. That's so great. Thanks. I think, you know, even today when I drive, Isla still is not driving, even though she's 17. So I drive her to school sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the first thing we do is put on a podcast. Oh, that's great. You know, of course, hers is about like true crime because she's 17. (laughs) But in middle school, right? You know, we have a half hour drive to school. Yeah. So, and a half hour drive home. So that's an hour a day that we are a captive audience. Right. And kids could listen to it on the bus, on their bus ride Mm -hmm. to school. I love this idea. I'm so happy that you've done it. Thank you. I'm going to check it out myself. Thank you. I read the one sheet this morning, right before Uh you came, because I'm so busy. But I was like, I'm going to check out everything they have on the platform. Is he going to develop the familiars or anything like that into? Um, we'll see about that. But I think mainly we're trying to go with more original originals right now. I'm curious why your daughter hasn't has started driving it at 17. She She's scared. Everyone, I find that's, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. Amen. Georgia, the same. Georgia was like, TikTok, baby. That's but so interesting. Isla, here's the problem. Isla rode with her sister. Her sister was a sporadic, not 100% safe driver, oh. and it scared her. Okay. That's what it is. Like mm-hmm. driving with me doesn't produce any anxiety for Isla. Riding to school and back with her sister produced a lot of anxiety for Isla. So I think it's taken her like a year of not driving with her sister to go, okay, I think I'm ready. Okay, that makes sense. Because as much as I've said to her, hey, you drive the way you drive, let Georgia drive the way. Georgia has never been in an accident. Right. She's not gotten a speeding ticket. Not to say that she should continue to drive in a way that makes you feel unsafe, but she's not unsafe to the point where it's falling apart. Right. So it's unsafe for you, mm-hmm. but it may not be unsafe <laughs> right. for the world. Right, exactly. Which is two different things. And I can't deny mm-hmm. that her feelings, uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, yeah, I was like, TikTok, baby, 16, I am in. But I was also in rural Georgia and you were in Ohio. Right. Right. And we need to get places. We need to go places. Yes. Yes. Oh, I had shit to do. Right. I wasn't staying at home. So your youngest then will be leaving next year. Yes. Okay. So you have the emptiness coming coming up. up. Coming right up. I've been talking about it in therapy already. Oh boy, that sounds really, I'm dreading that. I am dreading it and I am not dreading it. I have both going on. I have, there's so much, I don't know how much you believe in therapy and all that stuff, but as I've already said, I had some. Well, my wife is a therapist, so I have to believe, you know. Hello. (laughs) I'm sorry. I apologize. Obviously, you're totally believing. But in the unraveling of the empty nesting for me, it's really fascinating how your traumas show back up. Oh, interesting. Because, well, at least for me, because my trauma was about being left. Mm. You know, both my parents left me for different reasons at different times. My dad left me because of a divorce and my mom moved me away. But my mom left me for other not healthy reasons. Mm -hmm. And some of the leaving was punitive. Was like, you did wrong. I'm no longer speaking to you for a year and a half. Oh, wow. So the leaving, the abandonment stuff is very real for me. And I'm an only child. Right. So when I was left, I was left. It was me and my cat. And that's it. So I am being faced with being left again, right? Oh my gosh. That's so, so that breaks my heart. It was pretty traumatic. And and there's, there's, you know, emotional maturity is being able to kind of hold two things at once. Yeah. So obviously in present day, I know that no one's leaving. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm not being abandoned. 
Right. I know and want my kids to fly the coop. That's mm-hmm. what I'm. they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's that other piece that's the little girl that's like, oh my God, they're leaving again. Every What have I been doing for 18 years? Building this team of four. Now Bert's going to be on the road and my kids are going to be at college and I'm back to one. Oh, I'm at square one. That's Why would I invest in any of it to be back at one? That's the reactive child piece of, see, I told you not to let your heart open. Look what happens. Mm-hmm. Now it's getting squashed again. So dealing with that little inner voice of the, I told you so, oh, yeah. is that's how, the struggle. And how do you deal with it? Like how do you, therapy. what's your, yeah. You know, I was in therapy today. Uh, t- did not expect to talk about this. This is not front of my mind all the time. But we are about to go on a big um, a big trip for business. We're leaving Thursday morning. And um, and I keep piling other people into the trip, right? Mm-hmm. To not be by myself. And so that was kind of where this started. And today in therapy, therapy is so amazing because if you if you really participate in your growth and development and therapy, it is the most, probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done as a singular entity, right? As a human being is to really examine who you are and why you function yeah. the way you do. And the intention being to be happy, right? And some of these things make you unhappy. Mm-hmm. And, and examining those things leads to happiness, even right. if it's hard when you're examining them. I was sobbing in my therapy today because I said out loud, no one's leaving. Like, that's what I needed to hear. Right. That's what the little girl Mm -hmm. who's going, see, told you they'd all leave, needed to hear. And me saying, no one's leaving out loud made me fall. fall. I fell completely apart. Oh, wow. That's so heartbreaking. It it is. I'm heartbroken for myself. heartbroken, yes. And then at the same time, I'm really happy that I'm this mature person that can identify that this is what's going on instead of like suddenly clinging to my husband's leg as he goes out (laughs) on the road and him go, who is this person? Right. the most independent person I've ever seen. Right. But yeah, my therapist was like, I think you need to write no one's leaving and put it everywhere. Put yeah. it on your computer, put it in your purse, put it in your phone so that you can just remind yourself that no one's really leaving. Like you're good. Right. My 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 wife says that a lot to me if I'm anxious about something or she'll say, but that's not happening right now. Exactly. Like that's not happening right now. Yeah. And at first I used to get like, you know, agitated by that. And then I was like, wait, she's actually totally right because- 95% of what you worry about never really is real. So it's that like, go take a walk and look at a tree because that is, that, that you're still, everything's the same. Yeah. Even if it's in front of you or not in front of you. Yeah, it so. is the same. And go looking at a tree puts you in right now. It does. It's and in the present. Yes. That's what's happening mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how we got on this. But wow, that's, nest, yeah. but that's so, but that is, that's a very, <laughs> that's difficult. That's a difficult empty nest transition when you have that kind of trauma, you know, to really, to really stay present with what, what is, but you, but you're not, that is not what's happening. It's not what's happening. I have such a rich life. Yes. I work here every day with wonderful human beings. I see Mm -hmm. every day. 
I have two dogs that cannot get physically close enough to me uh-huh. if they tried. <laughs> they would get inside right. my body if they could. So I'm not alone. Right. I, I'd like a little alone from the dogs if you start breaking it down. And I have all these friends, these wonderful friends who, if not on the same page as me with empty nesters, they're pretty close. It's coming up. Yeah. And I think, and then it's like, how are you going to fill that? It's just about how you're going to fill that emotional time. You know, how, what's your new pattern? What's your new, Mm -hmm. what are your new things that are going to start to, you know, you have to take a bridge or something. I don't know. What do people do? Well, that's what I was (laughs) talking to Paula about this. Actually. I was like, I think I'm just going to start like a regular game night. Yes. For ladies. I do that. I I have my friends. Yeah. We play Rummy Cube. I love Rummy Cube. Oh, you should come. It's so fun. It's a great group of women. And we all play like every like other Friday night or something that's happening at my friend's house and we all go play Rummy Cube. Oh, I'll totally go. And Please invite me. I yeah, love well, it will. It's and I think but it's a lot of people like us who have yeah. like lived their careers and their kids are older and they're they're all doing different things and very interesting people and they're, you know, but that's I think that's the game night is a good thing. The game night is yeah. Yeah. I, I was yes, I've been wanting to do that for a while. That's one thing I'm gonna do. I have a great group of girlfriends who like to eat out. And so we were like going out to eat Good. regularly. And I was like, I could get into that. Yes. I don't need something every night. I don't need every night. I still, only child, do like being by myself from time to time. Right. But as long as I have some things in place, then right. I think I'll be okay. Keeps you hopeful, right? Keeps, then you, yes. you know you have something coming. Exactly. Right? It's not, I'm not alone. I'm going to this exactly. on that night. So I have questions because I... I love origin stories. Okay. They're some of my favorite things because because I think it's important for people who are younger than us to hear how you got here. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting tables. I'm selling Avon. Mm -hmm. I'm managing apartment buildings. I drove a tow truck. I sold wedding gowns. I worked in a video store. You know, all these. I worked in the financial district in New York. There's a whole host of things that got me here. Mm-hmm. And I remember in my 20s needing a plan, needing to know, oh yeah, where am I going? What am I doing? Who am I? Who am I going to love? And I think it's really important for people to hear how people start and what that looked like to get here. Yeah. So how did you start? Like what did you did you go to college? Well, it's interesting you say that because I've been thinking a lot about different eras of your life. Mm-hmm. And especially even like with kids, how that little kid era, you think about that era your whole life. You're like, oh, I'm gonna have a kid and this is what it's gonna look like. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't have, that era is done. Yeah. You have a lot of life ahead of you, but you finish this major piece. Um, so, but I, I went to college. I went to Marquette University in Milwaukee mm-hmm. because they took me. And then I got out of school and I was like, I have no idea what I want to do. And this is like the late eighties. And, um, but I knew that I just wanted to do something different. I had spent a lot of time in the Midwest between Ohio and Wisconsin. So I decided that I was going to go to Japan and teach English to Japanese business people. And at the time, uh, you know, there's no phones, there's nothing. And my sister-in-law had a friend, one of her best friends was there doing that. And so I wrote her a letter and my senior year of college, and she wrote me one letter back and said, well, there, just come get a one-way ticket. There's a magazine. Uh, you get the magazine and you find a place to live and you find the jobs. And so one of my best friends and I were like, okay, that's what we're going to go do. And so we got on a one-way 
ticket. We graduated, went off to Japan, which was interesting because I had to tell my parents that. And my mom, they both were on the phone with me and my mom was like, I gotta get off the phone. And my dad was like, I'll call you back tomorrow. And then he called me the next day. When I think about that now, I, I that must've been very scary for them. But they, he called me the next day and he was like, he asked me a lot of questions. And finally he said, you know, I think you should go do it. He was like, I, you know, we, he, he said, you know, we think, I th- we, we think about every kid every day. So it's like the whole, if this is what you want to do, like we want you to go do this. And up until then, my brothers had been accountants. Mm. So this was way off the charts for them. So we went, we traveled to Japan. Um, I taught English there for a year and a half. And then I took half the money and sent it home and took the other half and traveled the world. Wow. So I was gone for about two, two and a half years. Wow. That's an amazing story. Yeah. And I was just with another friend of mine came over and we traveled all through Asia and Russia and Europe. And and I came back and I was like, okay, now what? Like things changed so much, you know, Seinfeld started. I didn't know what Seinfeld was. (laughs) (laughs) You were way behind. I was like, what is, what is happening? Uh, so I moved to Chicago because that's where my friend who was traveling was, she was from there. Um, and I, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I went to dinner with a friend of mine whose husband worked in an ad agency. And he and I were talking and he was like, you know, you seem really creative. I'm going to introduce you to someone at the ad agency. And so that person, I did the classic, like, give me three people to talk to, give me three people to talk to. And in Chicago at the time, there was a robust production uh, mm-hmm. company because for commercials. Mm-hmm. And I, I, at the time I was waiting tables. I worked in an art gallery. I was just trying to make ends meet. And then somebody gave me a job. It was my friend took a job that she couldn't then take. And I went in for the interview and it, I think it paid $17,000 a year. Wow. It was answering phones in a small edit house for commercials. Oh, wow. And the editor had one arm and there was a, there was an audio engineer and I helped the, the editor and I could not have been happier. I was so excited to have this job. I was like, wow. I was like I'm in, I'm in the commercial world. I'm going to do this. And then I moved over from there after I was there for a couple of years. It was one of the people I met in the art gallery, happened to know someone who worked at a production company, which was where I wanted to go. I wanted to be in producing. I just wanted to, um, I would see productions around town. Um, one of them being like the Oprah show was in Chicago and I would see them filming everywhere. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And so I, I got a job with this woman who was a director who was awesome. And she gave me my first break. She got, she hired me as an office manager and her exec producer, I was probably 24, 25 now, um, who was this 45 year old man. She had a falling out with him within the first six months and I became the executive producer. Oh my gosh. I had no idea what I was doing. Wow. And it was, there was no internet to look things up. Right. Just like calling people going, oh, you need that kind of equipment? Okay, great. And then I would call someone and be like, what is a shot maker? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And I had like horror stories. I was not good at it. I mean, in the beginning, I was like, really, some things were good. I would just, but I was sweating, like everything that I would go to do. One time I went to a shoot and uh, we got there. It was like way out in Kansas City. It was like a couple hours away. And uh, there was, the crew was there, but there was no equipment because I didn't know in Kansas City, you had to tell them who was going to drive the truck. 
So we had to wait for two hours for the, I mean, it was the longest like four hours of my life ever. I mean, it was just, there was just, you're 24 years old, you should not be exact producing for a company, but it was great experience for me. Right. Um, And then I ended up uh, uh, moving to a different production company in Chicago that was really sort of another level that had an office in LA. And uh, I moved out here with that company and I worked in commercials and music videos and I grew up in that that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a European company that I would loved that was really great called Partizan. And I kept watching their stuff and got a call. They were starting in the United States and I ran that company for 15 years. Wow. Yeah. So now yeah. what was your college degree in? Psychology and history. How about that? Yep. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's an amazing story. Yeah. What an amazing story. Yeah. That's so cool. So, and from from that, from, you know, I did that for 15 years with commercials and music videos, but that's when I started to feel like, what am I doing? Uh-huh. You know, like, I, where are commercials going? You know, and I ended up going to start a, another company for film and TV. And that lasted about five or six years. And we did some documentaries and that sort of fell apart around COVID. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, you have your, you have your, you learn a lot, you know, you learn a lot of ups and downs and, but it's, it's all from, I mean, I think when you're in your 20s, what I would say is like, you think it's all way out there in terms of what you can go do, but it's it's actually the people that you know that are right in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that when you put yourself uh, out there and you look at just who you know, because mm-hmm. even in starting the podcast company, I was like, well, what now? What am I going to do? And Adam's sitting right there. You know, it's it's like you can find your way. Like it's, it's not so far out there if you really want to do something. And I was pretty determined to sort of follow my heart mm-hmm. in the once, cause once I loved production and being creative and I really, I could see things I wanted to go do. Um, it really is about just, it's right there. You just, it's not so far away from you as you think. When I look back at it now, I'm like, oh, wow, that was, that wasn't, I thought it was way out there, you know? And one of my, my favorite moments was, um, you know, growing up trying to get in the business and I would see all these different shoots going on for commercials and Oprah and all these things. And then when I was running Partizan, um, it was right when flash mobs were really big and mm-hmm. we had done the first flash mob in, uh, in England at, for T-Mobile. Oh, wow. And we got a call to do uh, the flash mob with that director, Michael Gracie in Chicago and for Oprah as a surprise. And so there were like 30,000 people on Michigan Avenue and we orchestrated like a surprise flash mob for her. And it was so much fun and it was really a great moment, but it was such a full circle thing for me. I was like, oh my God, I used to like ride my bike past productions and think, oh, I really want to do that. And now, you know, you, you find yourself standing there going, this is, this, this is crazy. This is crazy. Yeah. It's amazing how when you're on the right path, the path is effortless, even when it's hard work. Yes. You know, it effortlessness is not about not having to work hard. Yeah. It's just the path kind of rises to meet you, right? Yes. <clears throat> and doors open and things happen that it just kind of unfolds. You still have to dig in and work. The 20s to me, I always say 20s are about learning who you are mm-hmm. entirely who you are on every front, as a daughter, as a girlfriend, as uh, a friend, mm-hmm. as a person, as a worker. Yeah. Um, 
And your 30s is about applying that. It's applying what you've learned in your 20s and practicing, you know, because you still make mistakes. You're still figuring things out in your 30s. But by then I feel like, or at least for me, I knew who I was. It's like that foundational piece of who I am and what I like and how I like to work. Yeah. I I figured out in my 20s. And then my 30s, I got to apply all that. And then in your 40s, I think it's really about refining things, right? Mm -hmm. Getting really efficient at what you're applying. Um, I'm reading, we are reading a book in this podcast called From Strength to Strength. It's our current book club book. So I don't want to talk about it too much. Mm -hmm. But the basis, I guess, of the book is that idea, kind of what you were saying, that at a certain age, you transition into a different strength. Yes. Right? Yes. And his... Uh, this book is written from kind of a scientific perspective as what's going on actually in your mental capacity. That makes total sense. Doesn't it? Yeah, that makes total sense. And your drive and your energy level. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like the the math of your physical body mm-hmm. determines your strength, right? Yeah. And you don't have the energy or the drive or the mental capacity to really like dig in and tear something up and just like hustle and work 14, 18 hours. It's you just so you don't true. have it. Right. Yes. So your strength has to pivot. And for people who struggle with that pivot, right, their unhappiness comes from trying to maintain that original strength right. as opposed to being where you are. Right. And pivoting and letting the strength be what it is. That's so true. One of the things that I've had to really pick up in the last 10 years that because I always worked in a production company, I always had structure around me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I would was doing, I would, you know, it was like 30% creating opportunity, but 70% of opportunity there that we'd built, that we were generating, that was going. Well, then when you go to start your own company, <laughs> it's just a little bit different. It's like, <laughs> okay, now it's uh, 20% uh, coming to you and it's 80% whatever you're putting into this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so especially in the beginning, you know, you're just, it changes as you go. But, but it made me have to create new habits mm. that I think I, I had forced before, had was forced before because of what my responsibilities were. Right. But when you're on your own, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, I need to be consistent. Right. Right. Like this has to actually happen every day. Right. And I have to do this every day. It's like working out. Like yeah. you can work out for nine hours but you're still, you're not going to be fit. Right. But you can work out for 30 minutes to 60 minutes a day and in three months, something's going to change for you, right? So, and it's that piece that I had to go, that, which I loved, you know, it was really fun. It was so fun to learn and to see how just going, and, and, I, and also how to work, you know, to not think, oh, I have, you know, I, if I work 12, 13 hours, I'm, I'm great. You know, it's like, no, actually, (laughs) if you work in blocks of four hours and you really focus on the most important things, you're going to move things forward. Right. So I had to really study how to do that. Mm -hmm. It was so different than what I had experienced before. And I think you're right at this age, you're, you're in it, in your certain point, you don't want to be working like that much. You want to be, you want to be really efficient with what you're doing. And it comes from the habits and discipline that you're creating that are going to make you succeed because you're right. You're working hard 
on things, but you have to work, you have to do it consistently and it will happen. Mm-hmm. But it's really a matter of, of, of having that day-to-day commitment of this is, this is what's happening. Yes. You know? Yes. It's, yeah, that would make sense if you were, came from such a structured place to have to kind of figure yeah, it well, out. Yeah, well, you probably, yeah, because you guys, with Bert being a comedian, he probably has so much self-discipline in certain ways with his work. Does he? <laughs> no? Don't you think to create and do what he does? Oh, I wouldn't call it self-discipline. I'd call it <laughs> indulgence. I'd call it a lot of other things. Oh, okay. No, he's, he's, to be honest, he is one of the hardest working people I have ever seen. Yeah. Uh, he, his brain works more in like ideation mm-hmm. and compulsion than, and it, and discipline, but his discipline is very selective, mm-hmm. right? He's disciplined about what he's interested in, and yeah. that is it. Right. There is no discipline anywhere else going on right. at all. Sounds very ADHD kind of. Uh, um, I think he probably has ADHD. Right. He's brilliant, and and truly is the hardest working human being that I know. He works harder than me, than anybody in this office, right. than anybody I've ever known. But everything he is doing is something he wants to do. Right. So if you said to him you had to uh, type a report every morning on mm-hmm. your uh, stand-up show the night before, that would never happen. Right. That would <laughs> right. No, no. Never. No. That man could never hold a job for another person, not ever. Now, in the context of the studio system, yes. Right. But if, like, when we were together— uh, in the beginning, and I was writing, and my career was actually m- much farther ahead of his. Mm-hmm. It was very clear that he could not have a day job so that my career could continue to progress. Right. There is no way that was going to happen. Right. There's a certain <laughs> discipline it takes to right. go, I can put this aside and I can manage an apartment building so we can have health insurance and rent. Right. You know, and yes, this job sucks. And yes, mm-hmm. I'll be highly organized in that job so that I can spend as little time as possible in that job so that I can do these other things for my family. Yes. That is not Bert Kreischer. Right. So his discipline is there, but it is very different. Right. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. I know a lot of creative people that, that way. Like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Rules don't apply to him Yeah. in a certain way. And they absolutely do in other ways. Right. It's really fascinating to be married to somebody like that. Yeah, it must be. It is. I could never have married a regular human. Right. <laughs> I, I, I just wouldn't have done it. I would have been bored and I would have been out the door. Right. Um, because fair is not equal. And that is true in life. It is it is fair that we are different in that way. I don't think I would want to be like Bert. I don't want the anxiety. I don't want the inability to get off of a topic in my brain, to not be able to just think about this can all day for a day. I would, I would, that would drive me bananas. Mm-hmm. But that's what makes him an amazing comic, right? Right. And fair is not equal. It's fair that he has that because that gives him all this beautiful art that he can create. Mm-hmm. But it's not equal to what I have. We're not, right. you know, does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. I've said that to my kids their entire life. Fair is not equal. Mm-hmm. I have one kid that has a learning disability and one kid that has anxiety problems. And I can't parent them the same. Mm-hmm. I can't, uh, it's not possible. Right. So, you know, Isla, who has a learning disability, gets a lot of my time with academics. Georgia doesn't need my time. But Georgia sometimes felt like she didn't get enough time. Right. So I'd have to figure out how to give her more time in areas that weren't academically driven, but academia is absolutely every single day. So. 
but I'd have to constantly say fair is not equal. You know, I do these things with you that she doesn't need. And the reverse is true. So we just have to kind of figure out how to balance that in your brain. Mm -hmm. They hated that saying. But it's true. And I think it's kind of a shame that the world isn't set up more for the people like Bert and Isla. And Isla, yeah, like that's a, there's, I think that's where our education system, it's just so, um, you know, there's just so much that, uh, you know, my my daughter's dyslexic and there's just a, that process Mm -hmm. of even just figuring that out and what that is. And you're trying to fit something, this round peg into a square hole and it just, or whatever that is, square peg into a round hole, I think Same, same, whatever. Um, But you're, you, it, it opened up my mind so much mm-hmm. to um, how we don't, how, how that system fits the middle, but it's not fitting all these other people. And I think that there's, there, that's, it has to change in some way because it's really, especially with everything changing technologically, she's figured it all out. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh no, it's no problem. I'll just put this on audio and I'll do this on this and mm-hmm. I'll do this on that. And she's great at it. Mm-hmm. So, and she's doing really well. So yeah. it's, it's possible. It's know? the brilliance of that disability. Disabil- yeah. I hate the word disability, that distinction, Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. It's a distinctive brain. Their brain is 5% larger than everyone else's brain. Right. One in five kids have dyslexia. One in five. In, wow. Have it in some form. There are three different types of dyslexia. You know, there's the kind where you reverse letters mm-hmm. that everybody knows about. There's a type of dyslexia that processes color differently. So a, a colored sheet or a colored eyeglass yes. will completely adjust what they see on the physical page. Isla's type of dyslexia can't, if she can't visualize the word, she can't read the word. So you can't visualize the or of. Oh, that's so interesting. Yes. You can't see that. You can see horse and apple and table. You can even relate to an emotion like sadness. You can't see sight words. Uh-huh. You can't see them. So she can't read them. She's right. 17 and still has trouble distinguishing between the and of uh-huh. because she can't read them. Right. And teach, I am so blown away by the teachers that we have to sit down and have conversations with still who just don't get it. Right. And you're like, I don't really need you to get it, but I need you to get that she just is not going to read a chapter in her history book. Exactly. She's keep, that it's is different. like asking right. her to stick needles in her eyes. Right. <laughs> that is asking her for a four-hour commitment. Yes. When this other student who reads typically, not even an excellent reader, just a typical reader, it's half-hour work. Right. You're asking her for four hours of work. Right. How do we bridge that? I mean, is it important that she physically reads it or is mm-hmm. it important that she gets the information? Well, right? that's where I am too. It's about, it's because I noticed, especially in COVID where I was around a lot more when she was on Zooms and I would, it was great for her because she realized, oh, I actually know all of this. Right. Because the kids were all on a screen. She wasn't comparing herself to them. She wasn't feeling self-conscious about reading or whatever that was going to look like. And all of a sudden she was thriving because I was like, I'll type it in for you. You just tell me what you want to say. And she was just like, that changed everything. I think she finally saw herself as the student she really is. Right. Um, And now is like, you know, we'll just 
seems like she just walks up to her teacher. She's like, well, you know, I'm dyslexic. So let's just see how we're going to work this out. Because <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. She's a good advocator for herself. That's really great. Yeah. That's good. Dyslexia yeah. is a gift. Yes. Bert has it. His yeah. sister has it. His dad has it. My dad has it. And Isla has it. Wow. The odds were really, were really good there. Yeah. Right. But I, any of the most creative people I know have it. A lot of people have it. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's the frustrating part, I think. If one in five people have it. Yeah. Can't we make an adjustment Come there? On Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's not that deep, man. That's yeah. what I keep feeling like. It's really not that deep. Right. You know, my kid needs you to read the test question aloud to her. Right. I'm sorry that she's 17 and she still can't read the word the. And will they will they make that accommodation? Most teachers will. She's yeah. in private school for high school. Good. In public school, she was in public school through eighth grade. Yeah. And absolutely every accommodation she needed to the best of their ability, they gave her. Yeah, I, I feel like the, they've been great with the accommodations and 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 understand. Like it's, I think it's made her a lot more comfortable now to be like, okay, well, it's just going to take me more time. So yeah. I'll see you next class. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> or no, <coughs> Isla's is, I, I, it's really, it's just, a, it's been an interesting journey. She's a little ahead of your daughter. Uh -huh. And at the time she was identified as having dyslexia, LAUSD did not recognize dyslexia as a disability. So wow. I had a really hard time getting her services because luckily the uh, school psychologist said to me, she, between you and me, she's dyslexic, but I can't, I can't diagnose her as such because it's not recognized. It wasn't recognized in the state of California until Isla was deep into middle school. They did not recognize. So was the list of accommodations, was that applied at that point? Like, could you get those or was it? Yes. What the psychologist finally had to diagnose her with was an uh, auditory processing delay. That was her official diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So that then once she had a diagnosis, we could put whatever accommodations really kind of that was relative to that. Right. So we accommodated her for being dyslexic. Mm -hmm. with a non-dyslexia diagnosis. That's so upsetting. Isn't it? Yes, it was so upsetting. infuriating mm -hmm. because I kept, I mean, the doctors literally in the room with me said, this is totally off the record. Mm -hmm. Your daughter is dyslexic, but I can't write that on her form. Mm -hmm. So I got to find something else. It took her eight tests to finally have Isla fail a test that would qualify her for services. That's ridiculous. Eight tests. She said, test one, she saw the dyslexia in mm -hmm. test one, but had to test her eight times to qualify her. That to me is discriminatory. Yeah, it is. I mean, it really is. Well, and this is, think, you know, your daughter, my daughter, we have the, the attention and time to do that. Like yeah. I think of the kids that are undiagnosed. Exactly. That are not, that are struggling and shying away from academics because of that. And, and are that, feeling like crap about themselves. Yeah. And are feeling like losers and mm -hmm. feeling stupid and and just drowning. Mm -hmm. I would imagine you'd feel like you're just drowning and you just give up. Right. Because Isla would have given up a long time ago. If I, if she, for one, didn't clearly see her dad, her grandpas, both of them, and her uh, aunt thriving in life. Mm-hmm and knowing that they have the same problem. So she had examples of four people who were high achieving in their own life. That's great. Right? Yeah. So, but not everybody has that example at home. Right. No. Because they didn't, I mean, no one 
in those generations were diagnosed. Both grandpas were like, just fought their way tooth and nail out of school. My dad barely made it out of high school. Um, and Bert's dad, like a million times talked about how much he would study and got out of law school with like, oh, C minus. <laughs> like just, <laughs> I just got out. But he's, uh, he's the most successful real estate attorney in the state of Florida. Wow, really? So he is the guy in right. Florida. Like the state of Florida uses him for wow. attorney services for real estate. You know, he's just such a, clearly a brilliant guy. Yeah. Brilliant thinker, problem solver, creative yeah. problem solver. Well, and I think that's a, a, a part of what happens with people who have that is that there are other parts of their brain that are excelling so far beyond mm -hmm. people who don't have that, that they, if they can find the right path, they can be such high achievers. Yeah, they'll thrive. Yeah. They'll thrive. I've always said to Isla, we just got to get you out of high school. Yes. <laughs> Once we, I don't even care if you go to college. Right. She's got to get you out of high does school. Does she want to go to college? She does. Okay. She does. She wants to go to an art college. Okay. Um, I, I won't say it on here, but she okay. wants to go to an art college and she's got her heart set on it. So I hope she gets in. That's great. Because she just wanted one place. Because I was going to say, if that doesn't work out, then you don't really have the empty nest, which kind of, you know, kind of helps you out a little bit, you know? I guess, but I want that for her. <laughs> I know. I really do want them to launch. Yes. Because- I remember I'm a person and I hope my kids came away with this, that I really value hard work, mm -hmm. not for hard work's sake, but for the intrinsic value it builds in you. Right. To be able to, uh, you know, go to bed at night knowing you really contributed to your day, that you didn't just you know, lay like a lump on the couch day after day after day. There's time for that too. Mm -hmm. But I've never been a lay like a lump on your couch person. And I I think the trappings of being a lay on, on the couch person is that you deprive yourself of the opportunity to build intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. And intrinsic value is built by working at something that you have purpose for, at service to your community or to others, at, um, you know, those types of things is what builds that intrinsic value. Mm -hmm. And you just feel so fulfilled yeah. as a human being. And you don't have to make a million dollars. You can work at Target right. and have that same sense of purpose. Right. Working at Target, I would die if Target closed. Right. Everyone who works there is invaluable to <laughs> right. me. I freaking love those people. My dad is a mechanic. You know, it's that you don't have to do anything highbrow. My dad went to work every day, loving his job with every part of who he was. Right. And that's what I witnessed with someone who chose a career they were very good at, threw their entire heart and soul into it, and came home every night completely spent and exhausted and fulfilled right. from what they did and really understood his value and intelligence in that lane, mm -hmm. right? Yes. What a gift to have that modeled for you. And I hope my kids, and that's what I want for my kids, for them to go into that. Because the longest part of your life starts when you, you're out of high school. Mm -hmm. You know, this, you know, till your 20s is hopefully just one quarter right. or less of your whole life. Right. So, you're hoping that I want the launch for them, right? right? I want all of that fulfillment because 
you get it to an extent when you're a child, but I think you really start getting it when you become an adult. You do. And I, I think having those goals for is it's important to buy your first car, to yeah. rent your first apartment, to, you know, date and meet the person. You know, the whole that's those are all such invaluable life experiences. Yeah. And I think people who uh you know, you don't don't have that, or for some reason have the means, and they don't they aren't actually inspired to have to go reach these sort of milestones or or these types of things. It's hard to find intrinsic value. You really have to, and it does come from what you're doing every day, who you're interacting with, and how you're affecting people, and what your it's self worth, you know, and and that you're contributing to something. Mm-hmm. So, and through work, I think I totally agree with you. It's just that is where I think, especially in your twenties, thirties, it's it's very it's, it, that's how you build yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is how you find out who you are mm-hmm. and what you're made of, what your interests are mm-hmm. and how you interact in the world. Yeah, you know? I agree. And work, by the way, can be raising kids. Yeah. It can be that. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. That is, that for sure is. Yeah. My, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. And um, she and she grew up, she, she was a stay-at-home mom during the time where a lot of women, it was a women's rights movement mm-hmm. and it was tough. You know, I think she really had some conflict there where her friends were going to law school and, you know, kind of sinking into that. And she was like, I love what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. This is what I want to do. And she was amazing at it. You know, she was amazing at it. And uh, so I've always, I have such great value in that. And I think that's really one of the most worthwhile jobs you can have. Absolutely. (laughs) So important. I loved every minute of my stay at home Mm momness. I loved it. Yeah, me too. I I, I love being at home. I love working from home, Mm -hmm. being able to be around that. It's, Mm -hmm. it's so important. You don't want to miss that. Yeah, no, you don't want to miss it. I mean, when, when I got pregnant, I was like, so it's again, it's 20 years of my life that I get the privilege of having them every day, mm-hmm. right? Because my kids are two years apart. So till the younger one's 18, it's 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to live to be at least 90. So of those 90 years, 20 years is not very much. It's really right. not. It's not. It's a, it's a minute and yeah. it goes so quickly that you have all this time before and all this time after to do all these other things. But this moment will never be here again. Never. Right. Once you that baby comes, the clock is ticking for 20 years. Yeah, I feel the same way. I don't want to miss anything. Nothing. Uh-uh. And I feel bad that Bert missed so much to be pursuing his career. I feel like as much as his career looks amazing and exciting, mm-hmm. he kind of got the short end of the stick because I got to see everything in these two human beings' lives. It was mm-hmm. very rare that I was not with them. Right. I mean, I just, it's just so delicious and juicy. And in some ways, that soul connection with those two young ladies, uh, well, I mean, it, it has been the most fulfilling relationships of my life as with those two young ladies. They're just, it's just such a privilege that I was able to stay there. It's the greatest thing you can do. Yeah, I, I think, think so. Like, I where, think where so. are you going to have more of an impact than on your child? Like that, that to me is the greatest time spent that you could ever have, I agree. you know? And I feel like as soon as you have a child, all those, your priorities just go right in line. Like mm-hmm. you know exactly what the most important thing is and what the priority is. And I, but there really isn't anything that you, you're going to work in different places. You're going to meet different people. 
but really no one's going to have that kind of impact on you and you have that kind of impact on someone than than having a child. That's I think. so it's true. the most important. And what and that's what you're leaving here. Yes. You know, true. is this is this child, you know, that's what you're that's what you're doing. So, you know, and this is such a this this time of life for me, you know, my parents are older and she's getting older and you'd start realizing like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going down there. <laughs> right. At some point. And I'm not, and you're already over here. And so, and you realize like how important that relationship is. Like right. that's really what's going to be important to you when you're, when you're older. I always love to read the things that people say, you know, like the things that people find in their nineties feel are the most important thing in life. You know, I, I love reading all that stuff because too. it's so clear. Yeah. You know, it really is. It is. So it is. I had this great aunt Isla. We named uh, my daughter Isla after my great aunt Isla. Oh, that's Although awesome. I wasn't close to her. She was kind of terrifying. She was about six feet tall. Oh, she's chain smoked. Uh, she was very judgmental about what people wore. She was very put together, but I loved her name. And she was her own person. She married a Yankee, heaven forbid. Oh, wow. From New York City. It was bad. <laughs> And, you know, Isla would come to town. It was like a tornado showed up. But I remember her, she was the oldest, I think she might've been the oldest child, but she was definitely the oldest daughter. And my grandfather's uh, was one of eight. Mm-hmm. And so one of the younger siblings had was helping her when she was in the nursing home. And I guess there was a beauty contest in the nursing home. And my Aunt Isla had, you know, oh. signed up. So in the interview portion, they asked her what advice she had for the young people out there in the audience. And she, her advice was to drink while you can. Because <laughs> once you're in this place, it's over. <laughs> and I was like, I love you so much. She never had kids. So she didn't have any of that perspective. But it just, when you talk about that, yeah. I just always think about my eye going, well, drink while you can. Because yeah. once you show up here, it's, it's over. But it's funny. <laughs> Things, things all of a sudden stop. Like all of a sudden, I'm like, how many more years can I go play tennis? Yeah, right. right? Like you're like, oh, I mean, at some point you're, you're going to be like, oh, well, I used to. Yeah. And, I, and you know, you get to that that point in life and you're like, oh my God, what else am I going to lose? You don't think about it when you're down there. That's so true. You know, my dad taught me how to snow ski and we went snow skiing a lot. And for people in Georgia, don't really snow ski. There's nowhere to right. go. I mean, you have to have money to do that. And we didn't really have money but he would finagle it so we could get to like the most random places to snow ski. Like I went snow skiing in Alabama once. I didn't know that was possible. Me neither until we got in a truck and drove to Alabama. And, um, but when we had kids, I wanted to teach, Bert and I both wanted to teach our kids to snow ski. We, we enjoy it. Right. Um, and we we're like, let's take them to ski and let's bring Papa Jay. That's my dad. And my dad went, oh, no, no, I don't do that anymore. And it was like someone had dropped a ton of bricks on my head. Oh, yeah. The realization that this man who skied black diamond moguls my whole life didn't do that anymore. It's over. Was alarming. Yes. I, 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 it was a big pill for me to swallow. It does. It makes me think about that with working out, with, uh-huh. you know, all that, uh, any physical stuff. I'm like, you know, you don't want to wake up one day and be like, oh, I, I can't, I can't go do that. That's yeah, the right. worst feeling. Yeah. I, I just cannot. And, it, and when you said, when she said drinking like that, 
<laughs> I mean, you're down to basics at that point. I mean, right? That's like, you can't drink anymore. <laughs> you really lost your way at that point. There's Well, especially in yeah. this Southern Baptist small town where you're not supposed to be doing that anyway. And you've married a Yankee. And you didn't have kids. She I sounds mean, like such on. a character. She was a hoot. A hoot. Always beautifully dressed. I uh, can't say Ali got any of her characteristics except really? maybe that off the beaten path way of living. Uh-huh. She's definitely an off the beaten path. She Isla. is. Oh yeah. She's nobody like Isla on this planet. Yeah. And my Aunt Isla was definitely one of a kind. Yeah. So are your other three brothers still accountants? Four brothers. So Brian's one. No, but he's not an accountant. Oh, he's not an accountant, but there I have four more brothers. Wait, hold on. I have five brothers total. You have five brothers. Right. That's right. I was thinking five siblings. So so uh, three of them worked for my father's company. Okay. That uh, he started when I was in high school. And I'd love to explain to you what that company is, but it's, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's, I don't want to bore everybody, but it was, it was, it was, is a great, uh, it was sort of giant warehouses of packaging and, uh, forums. It started with forums for different corporations and he was a salesman and kind of went in and found a place for him to get in there and help create uh, systems for people. And my brothers all went into that business. And so three of them worked together and the other brother, and, and they all have different roles there. One is sort of runs the company and one is a attorney, a former attorney who now works sort of on that side. And another one is in sales. And then my, my other brother works, uh, he runs a different company in Cleveland. So they're all just a bunch of losers that can't do anything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the three-piece suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're just, you know, they're whatever. No, they're really great. They, we all get along really well. They're very close. Yeah. And, and they've worked together in a company for so long and they just really still see each other on weekends and holidays. And that's so, amazing. Yeah. They, they really, they all get along really well. Now, do you think you and Brian, do they think that you and Brian are just yeah. black sheep out there? Yeah. My parents were always like you, they, they would come out and visit us and come to Palm Springs for like a month. And they were like, this is so fun. It's so different than back in Ohio. They're like, we go gambling with you guys. We go <laughs> drinking. We're flying. We're going from LA to Palm Springs. We're going all over the place. Um, but they, they're always really intrigued by what we're doing. You know, they're, they're very interested and very intrigued. Right. You know, they come out and visit a lot and come out for holidays. And um, I think it's, it's amusing and enjoyable for them. That's cool. Yeah. But I think there's other times they look at us and go, oh, well, what are you doing today? You know, like, well, Brian's, <laughs> he's between jobs. They're like, oh, are you okay? You know, <laughs> is, that, is that right? Are you allowed to do that on a Tuesday? So... <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Is there just nine to five? Yeah, they're much five. more nine to five yeah. structured Typical. lives. Yes. Typical uh, structure of a day, of a week. Mm -hmm. That's but, so But also very, like I said, like they're interested and they're, they're, you know, throughout my career, they've been helpful, you know, with advice. And, you know, I remember when I was younger, I was trying to switch companies like in my 20s and they all got on a conference call with me and like advised me and helped oh. me out. So, Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. That this, sounds they're really great good. guys. They're That's really great so guys. Cool. Yeah. I'm so happy and excited for your platform. Thank you. It is definitely filling a void in the marketplace for sure. And I can't wait for people to discover it. Um, it'll be in our episode description. I'm Thanks. happy to put it on my website. Thank you so much. I, I'll put it on my Instagram. 
I am really sincerely, when I read the one sheet, I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, that's amazing. Thank that you needs, so much. The world needs it. Yes. So that's how we felt too. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. I'm Thank so you. thrilled for you guys. Well, I'm so glad I finally got to meet you. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So please tell Adam I said hi. I will. I love him and Jane. They're so yeah, great. They're awesome family. Really a great group of human beings over yeah. there too. So I'm thrilled to hear that he's involved and I am not surprised at all that he's killing it. Yeah. Not surprised at all. Yeah. And I bet you get lots of baked goods from Jane. Oh yeah. It's always, it's always good for the recording <laughs> sessions. I'm like, what's he bringing? All right. <laughs> She's amazing. Well, till I see you next time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah.